You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. To support positive change in emerging technology transfer offices, there must be intentional practices, programs, and initiatives to support inclusive innovation. These practices, programs, and initiatives must consider providing access for women, people of color, indigenous people, people with disabilities, members of the LGBTQ community, and other underrepresented groups, which can lead to a more successful and inclusive innovation strategy. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Derek Brent, the Deputy Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and Deputy Director of the United States Patent and Trademark Office. As the Deputy Director, Derek serves as the Principal Advisor to Kathy Vidal, the Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and Director of the USPTO, managing a wide portfolio of programs and operations for one of the largest intellectual property offices in the world with more than 13,000 employees and an annual budget of more than $4 billion. Derek's responsibilities include working with Director Vidal to lead the USPTO, as well as advance IP policies and procedures for the benefit of the country, expand the USPTO's outreach efforts to incentivize and support more innovation and entrepreneurship nationwide, and execute the agency's policies, priorities, and programs. Welcome, Derek. I'm so excited to have you here on the air. Well, thank you very much for for the privilege, and I, and I mean that, uh, to be here with you. Uh, obviously, Lisa, you and I have been on a panel before, so yes. and I enjoy our conversations. Uh, and then all, and that's what this is. This is really a conversation. Uh, and then also, also, you know, with our friends here at Autumn, uh, they are a valued, valued collaborator and partner of the USPTO. So anything we can do to, to support efforts here and get the word out about tech, uh, tech transfer and tech transfer offices, uh, we're happy to do. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time again. And it's always a pleasure to see you, Derek. You're just amazing. So I'm really excited about this conversation. My only concern is you and I could probably talk for hours. So, And our listeners, I don't think, want to listen that long. But anyway, I thought maybe to kick things off, it would be neat if you could share with us some specific initiatives that are led by the USPTO with respect to promoting diversity and inclusion within tech transfer offices. Yeah, thank you. I think... So I take this question sort of in a couple of parts. And the first part is technology transfer as a whole or tech transfer. I'm sorry, I'm going to use the colloquial term tech transfer. We, you know, there's a promotion of tech transfer generally. And the USPTO has begun to, to really, uh, to dig in. And that's not to say we, we didn't before, but this is a, a, you know, tech transfer is a wonderful way. It presents a couple of things, right? It presents the opportunity of education of students. It presents the opportunity for entrepreneurial uh, gains and startups, and then also presents a chance for innovation to reach the marketplace. So we've been, as a general proposition, we've been leaning in trying to provide more education and outreach uh, of our services uh, generally as they as they help facilitate moves to marketplace. Uh, then, but we also are reaching out because we think that early engagement of students, uh, high school, even co- especially in college, 
presenting them with the idea of tech transfer as a, as an opportunity and not just, uh, you know, not just in, there's the research end of it, but there's also the, there's also the idea of working in a tech transfer office for folks that are in the business side. So there's a wide array of folks and we're trying to make sure we hit these folks and that we tell them about the good things about tech transfer. Now, what we've done also, in addition to that, in terms of, of broadening uh, and making a more inclusive tech transfer system, uh, is we've engaged in outreach, not just with, a, not just with your, your traditional tech transfer programs, but we have also engaged heavily with HBCUs and MSIs in an effort to also expand their capacity and to expand their, their, their uh, activity in the system. Uh, we also have a national entrepreneurship strategy that we're working through. And, uh, and uh, you know, that includes tech transfer as one of the uh, elements of building on a national entrepreneurship uh, uh, strategy. And then we work with partners like Autumn, the federal labs, our federal partners like uh, the Department of Energy, NSF, and, and so forth. And we want to coordinate resources. If we can, now look, that's a lot of stuff right there. But if we can do all of those things and keep those activities going, you will bring more people into the system and what's in the system, you will make it more robust. So I think those are the, those are the ways, those are the two goals uh, by having these different activities. And that's what the USPTO has been doing, just really engaging on a high level and also trying to reach, uh, reach folks to bring more people into the tech transfer system. Yeah. And I know by the newsletters and emails that come out, you know, every single day, there is so much going on and so much leadership coming out of the USPTO on these issues. And, you know, you mentioned HBCUs and ERIs. And can you tell us a little bit more how the USPTO collaborates with ERIs to help drive diversity and inclusion in innovation? Absolutely. It's been a passion project, but it, it's, it's a passion project that has tangible results for our country. Uh, and so, you know, it's not a, it's not a vision quest or a vanity quest. It is more of a, it's, this is a way that we can tangibly raise, uh, our, and strengthen our economy, um, as well as the system. So some of the ways that we've engaged, uh, with HBCUs is we, so last summer we conducted a series of roundtables. And we conducted them with uh, tech transfer tech transfer staff from HB from HBCUs and MSIs. It was a great process. One of the unique things that we did with this with this roundtable is that we had subject matter experts along with the tech transfer folks. So we really fostered what we think was a, an important conversation. And, and it was a dialogue. Dialogue works two ways. That's why a conversation or a dialogue work two ways. And the beautiful part about it was the schools got to discuss their stories, their journeys. Some are journeys that, you know, have them at the R2 status and they have them in a really great position. But some of the stories are folks who are saying, hey, I'm just starting out. Uh, and, you know, and, and in one case, when you talk to when you talk about folks, uh, for example, in Kentucky, they're blessed to have an organization like Kentucky Commercial Ventures exactly. that they can plug into as a consortium. So all of these ideas and all of these different ways the schools are operating, whether they're at the beginning of the of the of the tech transfer uh, journey or at the end. And this this roundtable was really helpful. And the subject matter experts got to hear the stories firsthand and actually engage in a dialogue and talk directly with the schools. So we had a it was a really fruitful conversation. We've continued that engagement, both with the subject matter experts and the schools. Uh, We are are actually uh, we, we've enhanced our efforts at applying through our regional offices to give uh, to provide additional 
education, IP education. Uh, and particularly what we're doing is not only are we educating students, are we doing a, a, a outreach to students? We're doing outreach to the faculty. We want to make sure we teach the teachers. And if we can get the researchers to be more educated about IP, that can strengthen it. But we're also, when we're doing outreach, and I know I've, I've had a couple of occasions where I've had a chance to talk to senior administrators. We, you know, we have to, the thing we have to expand, I think, in order to expand tech transfer is to win the minds and is to really win the minds and hearts of the administrators because the schools that are excelling are schools where the administrators, whether it's at the chancellor or provost or, or, or president level, or all the way down to just a provost in, a, I shouldn't say just, but <laughs> a provost in the research area, winning those minds and hearts so that they commit to it and they commit to the expansion. And so on our side, we need to do more, and we'll get into this a little bit later. But on a federal government side, we do we need to do more to be more what I call user friendly. And that is we need to do a better job of coordinating our resources so that folks don't have to look all over the map to find out how to how to engage the federal government on tech transfer. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in, in a little while. And I'm really excited to hear about what you have to say on that front. So I also wanted to ask you, Brent, what are some of the effective strategies that the USPTO employs to help ensure equitable access to resources and opportunities for underrepresented groups? I think this is an area where, and I'm going to, I'm going to give a shout out to my uh, my colleague, my friend, and also uh, my boss, uh, Director Kathy Vidal. When you talk about someone who brings their mind and their heart to oh, work she every, does. Day, yes. every day, and bringing more into the system. That has been something that she's been passionate about. And I will say she's been very successful. And I think our agency has been successful. So in terms of overall, for the overall innovation system, for example, our pro bono program. And our pro bono program is one of our shining crowns. It's incredible. The success rate, the number of applications filed. It's truly, I completely agree with you, a success story. It is. You know, it's something that just has taken off and we're looking at ways to grow it in terms of the services that it can provide more across. We already have coverage of the entire country plus two territories, but we want to make sure that we make it even easier for folks to access these services. So the pro bono program has been a, has really been a crown jewel. And now what we've added to the pro bono program is a program that you will see that we run. I want to say it's, we run it a few times a year, it's somewhere between, you know, three to three to four times a year, but it's called Pathways, Pathways to Inclusive Innovation. Um, and we just call it Pathways. I mean, if, if I got the end of the name wrong, just know that look for something that says Pathways. Uh, the Pathways program, Lisa, is really unique in that we begin the program with the USPTO giving education to entrepreneurs. We, the, 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 the audience are entrepreneurs who may be, who may be eligible for pro bono services or who may not be, who may be past that stage, but still want to get that education. So we start the pathways programs off with, with uh, IP education and discussions. And then in the second half, what we've added to that is, the, is how is bringing the marketplace into into play, and so bringing these entrepreneurs closer to the marketplace, we bring in funding, you know, funder funding sources, federal government partners, others. We talk about everything ranging from how to get funding from the SBA, all the way up to like funding from the, you know from Bank of America or some other private institution. So now we're, we're we're saying to entrepreneurs, here's your you know here's how to develop IP. This is why IP is important. But on top of that, we're also saying, hey, the funding is is very important. So I'm going to hit a couple more just real quickly, but we've uh, we've had enhanced res- uh, uh, outreach through our regional offices. 
they've done an incredible job, especially over the last uh, over the last year plus, uh, in really in really developing geographic diversity and bringing more outreach to under under resourced and underrepresented areas. I clap my hands all all the time about them. Uh, one of our regional office directors, uh, Molly. In, I was going to mention Molly. I know Molly, and boy, is she energetic, and boy, is Molly, she doing a great job. Molly is fantastic. She is amazing. And Molly has one of the, if you look at the, at the, the region, Rocky, the Rocky Mountain has, region. Yeah, it's she huge. Is, it is, it is huge, but here's the thing, is there's population centers, but geographically, distance-wise, yes. it is one of the most difficult, and she does a fantastic job with that, with that region, so I'm happy to give, I'm happy to give her a shout out. We have a first time filer program uh, that we uh, and we implemented it uh, with the first time filer that said that you would get an expedited. If you're a first time filer, you get an expedited review up to your first office action. And what that does is that brings more people into the system because that allows people. So they say, okay, if I can get this, I can get information back to figure Absolutely. out whether to Make go forward. Decision. Yeah, I think that was a, as a patent attorney, I thought that was a great initiative, especially for individual inventors or small startups. I think that's really going to make a difference. It's a great. It's a great, it's a great program. And we have the uh, IP identifier uh, program, uh, IP identifier on our website, which allows entrepreneurs to go and look at, uh, and to figure out what they want to do. Uh, you know, if they, or I'm sorry, not what they want to do. They have a chance to actually take their idea, put in some information about it and figure out what type of IP might apply. Uh, that's been helpful. But the last thing I'll mention is our Office of Innovation Outreach, uh, OIO as it's called. And they do a program, uh, they do a program during Black History Month called Black Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Phenomenal program. And it is, it brings in entrepreneurs. I've participated in this program the last, uh, last year and I'm going to do it again. I'm actually flying there Thursday to be at the program. And it is just, when you see entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs of color, that are that are engaging and getting this knowledge, I mean, they get so excited. They're passionate about it. They want the knowledge. Uh, the program is run well. It's panels, and again, it's panels from a wide array of the entrepreneurship spectrum, from IP all the way up through uh, potential funding. And that program is actually expanding where we're going to, it's not just going to be Black History Month. We're actually going to run that program. Uh, I believe we're going to start, we're looking at expanding it so that it'll run a couple more times per year. But those are the ways that we've really, that's, those are just a few of the ways that we've really engaged. Yeah. And some of them, like you have said, the first time filer, the patent pro bono program have been extremely successful. Yeah. So, Derek, you've mentioned several things that have been successful uh, at the PTO so far. Are there some other approaches in fostering a more inclusive innovation ecosystem that have also had some success that you'd like to share with us? Yes, I think we, we've been... It's not fortunate because hard work is hard work goes behind these strategies. But I think we've been we've been successful in many of our approaches because I think we've been intentional. We've we've really done the homework and looked for where can we make the maximum impact impact. We we're always asking that question, where are we making impact? How can we make impact? Um and one of the keys is engagement. And when we look at engagement, whether it's through outreach in our regional offices, it's not about just that one touch. You can't do just though, you know, hey, we're giving you these uh, the IP basics or we're giving you this 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 uh, trademark boot camp. You have to follow up and you have to make sure the people are plugged into the office. That's providing access. So the, that more is a holistic concept. It's about make the re make the engagement, make the reach, make the touch, but also have follow up to it because you want to make sure folks are plugged in. 
even if they don't need it, maybe they just want to know. And so you want to make sure that that's there. I think also the other, another thing that has helped us in this area as an approach is that internally, we, our teams have a wide array of perspectives and we have, you know, diverse teams that bring a wide array of perspectives, as I said, to the table so that when we're looking at things, you know, we're looking at areas, someone might know something about a geographic area. Someone might know something about a particular community. Having folks at the table is so key. It's imperative, yeah. It's, it's imperative to get that. But the other thing is making sure, and on top of that, because as you mentioned, we're, do, we're, we're doing a lot. And we do a lot that is out for the this, this system, uh, the IP system. We do policy and different things like that. The other aspect that I think that has helped us in terms of inclusion is making sure that those that those matters are communicated widely and make sure that they're widely. So you're not just going into the, you know, if you're communicating something, yes, you want to get, you want to hit the practitioner community, but you also want to hit folks at the university levels. And then when you're hitting at the university level, are you hitting all of the universities? Are you hitting entrepreneurs? And we, that's the other thing is making sure that we're communicating on a wide basis to really help so that everything that's going on at the office, people are getting knowledge and are not getting left behind. No, that's so important. And, you know, you've talked about several successful programs so far, but with success also comes challenges, right? Um, they're just inevitable. And so talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the challenges that the PTO has faced when advancing diversity and inclusion goals, particularly within tech transfer offices. And how have you pivoted and addressed those challenges? Sure. You know, Lisa, you always want to do more, right? Exactly. I, I, There's I, only 24 hours in the day. Exactly. You, and I'll tell you one of the things at the USPTO, I know we, you know, it's an agency with a big heart. And I, I know folks go to bed every night, you know, wanting to do more, you know, wanting, you know, like saying, what more can we do? And so it's a really, it's a great agency in that, res in that respect. I think one of the ways, one of the challenges that we have is scaling is scaling our programs. So you can do a successful outreach program at University X. You can go and, and meet with a bunch of entrepreneurs uh, in City Y, and that's great. But how do you scale it so that it, co it comes out of the room? And we've, we, we've done, a, a good, I think, a good job. We've really improved in our ability to take things so... When Kathy is at a meeting, whether it's an international meeting or, or, or a, a domestic meeting, or she's doing some event, taking the message out of that room and being able to lift it up so that others can see it. Uh, but beyond the messaging, when we do the outreach, like as, we, as we've done this outreach to the HBCUs, there are 107 HBCUs. We had our roundtable was only 10, but we've managed to find uh, to scale up and get and get outreach to a, a, some other schools. And we're going to continue doing that. But scaling these, the, you know, these individual touches is really one of the things like it's OK. How do I how can I get everybody in the room so I can talk to them at once? You're not going to do that. So now you have to figure out how do you hit clusters best and mo most effectively. I will tell you the other challenge that I'd like to, that, that I'd like to mention, but it's a challenge on us, I think, as a, as a federal government is for us to, to really get together and coordinate our resources. I think one of the challenges from those roundtables talking to the HBCUs and MSIs, um, and then going out generally and doing outreach. One of the things you hear, especially for emerging institutions, and it doesn't have to be at just an HBCU, it's just any emerging institution that's out there is, 
they don't have a full-time government affairs office that can look and say, oh, you know, DOD has this program and, oh, Department of Energy and NIH has this, so that they have the complete picture. And so they may be plugged into one, one part of the government, but not the other. And it was a conversation I was just having actually uh, this week with one of the senior, senior leaders at, at the Department of Commerce. And we were talking about that, uh, that aspect in that how can we coordinate? So I, I give props to our friends at NSF. They are doing some great collaboration. They are doing some great, yeah, They really work. are. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know I had a meeting with the uh, Office of Science and Technology Policy with the White House. Uh, they're, they're engaging on this. And, they, and all of us are saying, like, how can we get some type of coordinated resources just so that at least, and I think the initial point is that each of us has to be a feeder to the rest of the to the rest of the system for tech transfer. So we have to all get together, kind of know what each of us are working on, and enough so that when somebody comes in, we can feed them to a different parts. Ultimately, you know, for, farther down the line, you're looking at some some more things. Is there a resource hub that you could that you could build? And I'm not talking about a physical building or something, but some type of resource hub that you could that you could build. But as an initial matter, we all have to act as gateways because we have to feed people so that they are so that once they come into the system, we're like, oh, you might want to also talk to you know, SBA, SBIR. Uh, you might want to talk to you might want to talk to DOE. Uh, Department of Transportation even has some stuff. So we want to make sure that people that we get coordinated resources so that folks can really take advantage of the system. Yeah, because there's definitely a lot. And like you said, for a small emerging research institution, it's overwhelming and, you know, uh, too much information for a small office to even kind of absorb. So, yeah, yeah I, I think I, that's totally right. You know, and it, it came up in our conversations. The other aspect of, you know, we're working with Autumn on, uh, Autumn on this uh, is for emerging research, research institutions having uh, co- coordinated resources, but also having networking opportunities so that they can actually have conversations with each other. Uh, if you can build, uh, if, if you can build a way for them to have conversations, when we had those roundtables, I'm telling you, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell one of the, uh, one of the stories real briefly, just seeing folks like, Hey, wait a minute. You, that's how you handled that. Well, I could learn from that. And I know that our folks at our, our round table are, you know, are still staying in touch with each other. They send me notes from time to time. And, but one of the, one of the, uh, tech transfer offices, uh, or commercialization, uh, uh, leaders at her school built the plane backwards. She said, I'm not going to go bother the researchers. I'm going to build the commercialization side. And when I build the commercialization side, the pipeline and the, the process for taking it out, I'm going to go to them and say, you've got this beautiful research. We've got the process to get it out. She built the plane backwards. And I remember one of the other schools going, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. I've never heard of that before. That was a very smart move on her part. Yeah. And, yeah. She, and she did it. You know, necessity is the mother of invention, exactly. right? She she did it because she had, you know, she it was in addition to her uh, other duties at the school, but she did it uh, primarily because that was where she had, she says, I got to focus time. Let me try and do it this way rather than trying to pull it from this end. Very, very smart. And then- when the researchers, she went to the researchers, she, you know, had the system in place. So right. that's, that's pretty amazing. Now you've mentioned, Derek, several different partnerships and collaborations that the USPTO has. Are there any other ones you wanted to mention that you have that are used to support diversity and inclusion efforts and innovation? 
Yeah, this is this is where I get into trouble, right, Lisa? Because it's the the, one, the ones that I leave out. They'll be like, "Yeah, this second man, chance, <laughs> Derek. Second chance." No, I, I'm teasing you. So I'm going to name. Uh, you know, I always risk leaving someone out, but I'm going to obviously start with Autumn. Uh, you know, Autumn's just been a phenomenal partner. Uh, shout out to to not just you, but but Steve Sasolka has been fantastic. Mike Waring uh, and Colleen. Uh, uh, you know, you know they have really. Uh, stepped up, and we've re- we've had great dialogue on ways to work together. Ways to work together, and we I think we have some interesting stuff coming down the line. And also working with Almisha, the outgoing uh, yeah, board chair. Yeah, Almisha's been fantastic. Uh, she's she's been phenomenal, and and. And so there's Autumn, there's National Academy of Inventors that are doing some important work in this area, uh, trying to, to lift, uh, lift up and broaden the uh, tech transfer uh, and research community. Uh, there's the Federal Labs Consortium. Now they are, and it's funny, I was here at Autumn last year where we started discussing uh, HBCUs and apparently, I got a note, uh, a note from someone from Federal Labs and they were like, I was running around trying to find you. Like it was such a great conversation and they're, they're doing fantastic work and they have a great set of tools. They really do. They have an amazing set of tools and I'm going to plug, they actually have a podcast that's uh, going to be airing soon too. Oh, as great. Well. That, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Great. I really give them credit. The, you know, the key is like, so they're working with the federal labs and I, the interesting, the interesting thing for them is providing those resources. Can we get those education resources out to people who are prospective federal labs partners, right? Who maybe don't have federal funding, but want to have federal funding. And so those are, those are ones. UNCF has been a great partner uh, and has been working hard in this area of expanding uh, 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 commercialization efforts. Our federal partners, NOAA, Department of Energy, uh, OSTP that I just mentioned, NSF, obviously, NIST, uh, just a wonderful group of, of partners. Um, and the, But our most important partners are really getting out right into the field, and that would be the universities themselves, uh, from the HBCUs all the way up to the R1s. And one of the great things I will say is that, that we have a, a number of folks that we talk to that are in the, you know, that are already in the R1 space and have really big programs. And, and where they could just sit there and run their program. They've reached out to us and we reach out to them. And we're asking the same question. How do we open the door for more to, to come through? How do we help others? And so there are some big hearts out there. So. There's some really big hearts. Yeah. yeah. People who really are trying to make impact. And like you said, working, I'd like to say it's 24 seven based on some of them, based on uh, what I've been reading and hearing from them. So it, it really is uh, amazing how big some people's hearts are. And, you know, that leads me to ask with all these different programs and initiatives and collaborations and partnerships underway, how do you measure effectiveness of all these different initiatives, particularly the ones you have with tech transfer offices? That's a, 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 that's that, a tough one. I would that's think. a million. That's the million, that's million dollar, dollar question. question. Yeah. It is because it's a, so the, the, you know, the short answer, you know, I'll, I'll go back to my litigator days uh, where they say, tell the judge the answer and then explain as long as the judge will let you explain. Uh, <laughs> The answer is it's an ongoing process. Um, developing the data, what are your data sources? Uh, and then what are your outcome metrics? Because now you have to change your metrics. I think for a long time, not just in the government, but also in, I think generally as a society, but I'm going to, but, but I'm just going to say, at least I think for a lot of us, it was, you were measuring effort and it was like, well, we did this. We talked to this many people. We, you know, we ran this many, and we did this many programs. We raised this much money, uh, you know, and, and I think that that's okay. But what was the impact? And I, I know that, that, that 
inside of the federal government over the last couple of years, we have really made a big shift on, on metrics of trying to develop an outcome. I mean, we've, we've shifted some of our metrics, that, our internal performance metrics at the USPTO. So we're developing baselines and we're also measuring outcome, more outcome determinative things. So that is a, that is sort of an ongoing thing, but we are building right now. We're working with our partners to see what data is out there. Autumn has some great data sets. They do a great job on yeah. data collection and analysis. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've had conversations with other, other partners that are in the licensing area. Uh, how do we sort of pull this data? And we have, you know, we're fortunate to have a great economist, uh, uh, an economist office that that can work through these things. The Department of Commerce, the Census Bureau, has like data, like data geniuses, really, and they've gotten involved in in helping to helping other bureaus to work with uh, to take to pool data uh, to work on more to developing uh, more targeted metrics. So I will say that, but I will tell you, uh, but I will tell you that. At the end of the day, measure, you know, measuring the outcome is really one of the most Im- important things. And it's really something that, that, you know, you, you need it so that you can make tweaks along the way. Yeah. And I think data collection, it's so important when you're talking about diversity and inclusion. And it's an evolving process too. It's one thing that's never static. It's always growing and changing depending on your initiatives. And, you know, Derek, we've been talking for a while now about all these different things that are going on with respect to diversity inclusion at the patent office. And there might be some listeners out there who are wondering, you know, why is it important to the PTO to prioritize diversity and inclusion and innovation? I think, you know, my brother-in-law had a, you know, was, was on CNBC once and he said, it's just unequivocal that when we're diverse, we're stronger. And when we're stronger, we're better. Absolutely. And I think it goes from that core principle of the the more you have on your team, the better your product is. And I really think that that's part of it. But, you know, one of our core p- principles is driving inclusive innovation. Um, and it's so important that it's the first pillar or plank of our strategic plan. It is, uh, you know, our overarching principle of how can we drive, how can we drive inclusive innovation? And, as I said, you know, the innovation system strengthens our economy and strengthens our country. You know, it helps to, you know, bring innovation to impact so that all of a sudden when you're getting these breakthrough things, can you get them into people's hands so that they can use it? And so we all know about the importance of innovation and then diversifying that only brings more solutions into more hands. And, you know, there's the, you know, there's the report out there you know, that says that if, you know, if we could, you know, if we could increase the number of inventors. I believe Women inventors, underrepresented inventors. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at what would happen to our economy. There's plenty of studies out there that would, that demonstrate what that impact could be. It increases our GDP. Exactly. And, and that is, you know, and it's amazing, but there's, and, you know, right alongside that report about the general, the general principle, uh, McKinsey, did some interesting work in this area and they looked at it and they were looking at just, uh, they were looking at black entrepreneurs. And if you could get right now, you know, black entrepreneurs, roughly 2.2%. I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's a number. That's pretty close to the, yeah. yeah. It's 2.2%. And they're, they get 2.2% of the funding and they represent 2.2% of all entrepreneurs and small businesses. If you could get that up to the representative level in, in society, which would be roughly in the 12 to 13% area, this is irrespective of performance. If they just existed, you're talking about one trillion to the GDP. 
So when you have when you have an opportunity out there, it shows you that even a small increase is going to make a is going to make a big impact. impact. Yeah. And so the other thing I always cite in this area, and I'm sure you've heard it before. In our pro bono program, I think our pro bono demographics, now these are independently run organizations. As I mentioned before, we don't take demographic data at our agency, uh, but our pro bono providers do, and they provide information. And if you want to look at what innovation looks like or what the ecosystem looks like when you put resources and opportunity together uh, for folks, 43% of our pro bono, uh, our pro bono applicants identify as women. 35% African-American, 14% Latino, Hispanic, uh, 8% is veterans, 8% is veterans. And we've been trying, we've been working on outreach to grow the veteran entrepreneur community. So that's what tomorrow looks like as we continue doing the work of today. Tomorrow is a robust, it is bright, it is inclusive, and it's going to be an engine that's going to knock the socks off. So that's why we're doing the hard work of today. Now, Derek, what advice would you have for tech transfer offices within ERIs that are looking to enhance their inclusivity efforts based on your experience at the PTO and all the different programming you have going on? That's a great question. To TTOs generally, I would say cast a wide net. Find all of the talent that you can. Do not be locked in to just folks who have the experience of today. You want to find business folks that bring concepts from outside of the the realm that possibly can be applied. Um, They're also, I think casting a wider net will bring you a a wider group of researchers. It will bring you a wider group of, of professionals. It will also give you access to the marketplace better. So that's one of the things. The other thing is I think exposing more undergrads to research and tech transfer is, is paramount. And, I, you know, I, I know for me, if, if I had known about this work, I knew a little bit about research because my mentor, uh, my mentor in undergrad brought me in to be his research assistant, but it was primarily some, handling some research matters for him, you know, related to how he, his teaching his classes. Uh, but he also exposed me a little bit to it. I wish I had known about it because I think for undergrad students, when they look at research, they're like, oh, I'm going to be in a lab and I'm just going to be writing up remarks and maybe maybe we'll publish a paper or something. But they don't see that entrepreneurial potential. And I think if they could see the pathways that are in addition to just doing the research, I think that it gets it becomes more exciting for them. So that is, I think, exposing more undergrads to uh, research and to tech transfer, I think, is, is a, a great opportunity for making the system more inclusive. So, Derek, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you about unconscious bias because that's something that all businesses, university, tech transfer offices, everybody has unconscious bias. We all have it. You and I sitting here today have unconscious bias. So, how does the USPTO address unconscious bias in the patent process to help ensure fair treatment for all innovators, regardless of their backgrounds? Well, I think I start off with the, the top line is that there's protections built in the system in that we do not take in demographic information um, when we're taking in patent applications. So there's, there's a built-in layer right there. But internally as an agency, we also understand that you don't just rely on the system. You don't just rely on the process. So we also do a ton of training. 
in, in the area of how can we how can we be, be better colleagues to each other? Uh, how are we addressing addressing each other as a community? And I think the PTO one of the areas that we've we've excelled in is in the area. Uh, with our workforce, with uh, DEIA, uh, but also just in terms of the community. It's why I just in the last few months met two employees who had been at the PTO for 50 years. One is 50 years and he's still working and he's still he's still going. He is still he loves his job that much. loves his job. He said he planned to come there for a year and said it just felt like home. And so it was a, you know, that's a testament. The other, the other gentleman just retired after 50 years, just a few months ago. So I think we have, we're blessed with having a great group of folks in the agency. But I will tell you on the unconscious bias and more directly is we just completed last summer agency wide unconscious bias uh, training. So we do do internal training amongst our trainings that we do um, included in that is unconscious bias. So that we are aware of, aware of ourselves. So it's something we do take seriously. Yeah, obviously. Well, that's really great to hear about the the unconscious bias training. And that's something we all need to do and keep having, you know, constant training on it because it we all develop new unconscious bias over time. So that's really fantastic to hear. So, Derek, I wanted to ask you kind of a broad question. Uh, what role do you see the PTO playing in shaping the future of diversity and inclusion efforts within tech transfer offices? It's another great question. It's uh, a big one. <laughs> it's a, it is a big one. So the USPTO is, I think the first the first part of it uh, of any answer has to say that we're prepared uh, to stand alongside our our partners like Autumn, like the FLC, like NAI, uh, like our federal partners like the SBA, MBDA. We will stand alongside all of them as we try to continue to build this wonderful system and and continue to. Uh, promote it, it, you know, promote its virtues to our economy um, and also the educational benefits. Uh, but we are also, we are also going to work hard with our partners to coordinate resources. Uh, biggest thing is an individual agency sort of our, you know, our lane to some degree uh, is we're going to continue to provide uh, IP education wherever you have entrepreneurial efforts and, and look, tech transfer, when you boil it down, it is research, it's the marketplace, and the thing that sits in between there you to get the you- the connector. Exactly. The bridge, I, I, you know, I think in my swearing in speech, I, ref, I refer to IP as the bridge to the marketplace. And it really is something. So we're going to continue to educate, but that education is faculty, it is, it is students, but it's also the administrators. We're going to continue to do that. And I think the other aspect that we will do is we will continue to, to do early engagement. We are, again, I use this term blessed, uh, but we're blessed to have a great educational outreach team. And we are stressing STEM education and tech transfer has now, is we're going to continue to sing the uh, praises of tech transfer as an opportunity. Because if, you, if we can tell you that in high school, reinforce it when you're in college through another outreach program, maybe it gets on your radar and it becomes a career path for you. So, Derek, I want you to pull out your crystal ball as the podcast comes to a close. And I wanted to ask you, what opportunities do you foresee for the USPTO to further drive diversity and inclusion and innovation? Well, I think we will, you know, we will continue to try to lead by example. Uh, So internally, you know, internally making sure that we have 
uh, robust, inclusive teams uh, that are bringing, you know, that are bringing, you know, diverse solutions uh, to the complex problems that we face both as a, you know, as a country and as an ecosystem. Uh, you know, we have already begun, like, for example, you know, we've revamped our job postings to make them more inclusive to cast a wider net. Uh, and we've had things like bringing on a lead advisor, uh, in this area, we've also stood up our first DEIA council uh, for the uh, for the agency that is going to drive more initiatives for for the workforce, so that we have so that now it's you know it's not something inclusion is not something you drive from the top. It is everybody. Everybody is all hands on deck. So we will continue to do that. I think finally, when you look at the when you look into the crystal ball, you have to you, you we have to work on scaling. But we will continue to meet people where they are and figuring out and, and going out and continuing to make sure that the general public continues to gain awareness of the importance of IP. Um, and then also in the, uh, in the tech transfer space to make sure that we, that people are knowledgeable, not just about IP, but also we bring other, we bring other information and, you know, general information from the uh, innovation ecosystem. And we want to make sure that we we're at the table uh, to talk with, uh, talk with both our, our partners and our collaborators. So that's what I see for the future is just really beating people where they are and bringing more people into the system, invite more people to the party. As my grandmother used to, my grandmother used to take in stray cats and then she used to say, I take in stray people too. She would leave the door open when she was cooking dinner. And if somebody happened to wander by and smell something good, like my grandma could cook. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. She, but my grandma, you know, so I'd say, Hey, you know, Miss Virginia, that, that smells really good. Come on in. She pull up, put a plate down. That's where I think we have to be. I think that's where all of us that are working on this autumn, USPTO, all, all of the folks, the universities, all of us are trying to invite more to the table. So we're, that's where we're going to be. Well, Derek, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And this time I had the pleasure of seeing you again in person, which is always delightful. And thank you so much for all that you and everyone at the USPTO is doing to foster diversity and inclusion and innovation. Thanks for taking all this time today to talk to us. And we really appreciate the partnership between Autumn and the USPTO. Oh, like, likewise, the pleasure is mine. Uh, and Lisa, again, uh, another another great conversation. And it truly was a conversation. It so really was. I, I appreciate the time and I always love hearing your thoughts on this because you're doing uh, important work in this area too. So uh, congratulations and please keep, keep up the great work. Thank you so much. As we saw in this episode, it's clear that fostering diversity and inclusion within tech transfer offices is not only a goal, it's a necessity for driving positive change and innovation. Thanks to our guest, Derek Brent, for sharing your invaluable insights and expertise. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us.